letter one of red gauntlet by sir walter scott this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. recording by dion gines salt lake city utah letter one darcy latimer to allan fairford dumfries cur me examimus querulus tuus in plain english why do you deafen me with your croaking the disconsolate tone in which you bade me farewell at noble house the first stage on the road from edinburgh to dumfries via moffat and mounted your miserable hack to return to your law drudgery still sounds in my ears it seemed to say happy dog you can ramble at pleasure over hill and dale pursue every object of curiosity that presents itself and relinquish the chase when it loses interest while i your senior and your better must in this brilliant season return to my narrow chamber and my musty books such was the import of the reflections with which you saddened our parting bottle of claret and thus i must needs interpret the terms of your melancholy adieu and why should this be so allan why the deuce should you not be sitting precisely opposite to me at this moment in the same comfortable george inn thy heels on the fender and thy judicial brow expanding its placations as a pun rose in your fancy above all why when i fill this very glass of wine cannot i push the bottle to you and say fairford you are chaste why i say should not all this be except because allan fairford has not the same true sense of friendship as darcy latimer and will not regard our purses as common as well as our sentiments i am alone in the world my only guardian writes to me of a large fortune which will be mine when i reach the age of twenty-five complete my present income is thou knowest more than sufficient for all my wants and yet thou traitor as thou art to the cause of friendship dost deprive me of the pleasure of thy society and submittest besides to self-denial on thine own part rather than my wanderings should cost me a few guineas more is this regard for my purse or for thine own pride is it not equally absurd and unreasonable whichever source it springs from for myself i tell thee i have and shall have more than enough for both this same methodical samuel griffiths of ironmonger lane guildhall london whose letter arrives as duly as quarter day has sent me as i told thee double allowance for this my twenty-first birthday and an assurance in his brief fashion that it will be again doubled for the succeeding years until i enter into possession of my own property 
still i am to refrain from visiting england until my twenty-fifth year expires and it is recommended that i shall forbear all inquiries concerning my family and so forth for the present were it not that i recollect my poor mother in her deep widow's weeds with a countenance that never smiled but when she looked on me and then in such wan and woeful sort as the sun when he glances through an april cloud were it not i say that her mild and matron-like form and countenance forbid such a suspicion i might think myself the son of some indian director or rich citizen who had more wealth than grace and a handful of hypocrisy to boot and who was breeding up privately and obscurely enriching one of whose existence he had some reason to be ashamed but as i said before i think on my mother and am convinced as much as of the existence of my own soul that no touch of shame should arise from aught in which she was implicated meantime i am wealthy and i am alone and why does my friend scruple to share my wealth are you not my only friend and have you not acquired a right to share my wealth answer me that allan fairford when i was brought from the solitude of my mother's dwelling into the tumult of the gates class at the high school when i was mocked for my english accent salted with snow as a southern rolled in the gutter for a saxon pock-pudding who with stout arguments and stouter blows stood forth my defender why allan fairford who beat me soundly when i brought the arrogance of an only son and of course a spoiled urchin to the forms of the little republic why allan and who taught me to smoke a cobbler pin a losin head a bicker and hold the bannets break a window head a skirmish with stones and hold the bonnet or handkerchief which used to divide high school boys when fighting allan once more if i became the pride of the yards and the dread of the hucksters in the high school wind it was under thy patronage and but for thee i had been contented with humbly passing through the cowgate port without climbing over the top of it and had never seen the kittle nine steps nearer than from bearford's parks a pass on the very brink of the castle rock to the north by which it is just possible for a goat or a high school boy to turn the corner of the building where it rises from the edge of the precipice this was so favourite a feat with the hell and neck boys of the higher classes that at one time sentinels were posted to prevent its repetition one of the nine steps was rendered more secure because the climber could take hold of the root of a nettle so precarious were the means of passing this celebrated spot the manning the cowgate port especially in snowball time was also a choice amusement as it offered an inaccessible station for the boys 
who used these missiles to the annoyance of the passengers the gateway is now demolished and probably most of its garrison lie as low as the fortress to recollect that the author himself however naturally disqualified was one of those juvenile dreadnoughts is a sad reflection to one who cannot now step over a brook without assistance you taught me to keep my fingers off the weak and to clench my fist against the strong to carry no tales out of school to stand forth like a true man obey the stern order of a pande manum and endure my pommies without wincing like one that is determined not to be the better for them in a word before i knew thee i knew nothing at college it was the same when i was incorrigibly idle your example and encouragement roused me to mental exertion and showed me the way to intellectual enjoyment you made me an historian a metaphysician invita minerva nay by heaven you had almost made an advocate of me as well as of yourself yes rather than part with you alan i attended a weary session at the scotch law class a wearier at the civil and with what excellent advantage my notebook filled with caricatures of the professors and my fellow-students is it not yet extant to testify thus far have i held on with thee untired and to say truth purely and solely that i might travel the same road with thee but it will not do alan by my faith man i could as soon think of being one of those ingenious traitors who cheat little master jackies on the outside of the partition with tops balls bats and battledores as a member of the long-robed fraternity within who impose on grown country gentlemen with bouncing brocards of law the hall of the parliament house of edinburgh was in former days divided into two unequal portions by a partition the inner side of which was consecrated to the use of the courts of justice and the gentlemen of the law while the outer division was occupied by the stalls of stationers toymen and the like as in a modern bazaar from the old play of the plain dealer it seems such was formerly the case with westminster hall minos has now purified his courts in both cities from all traffic but his own now don't you read this to your worthy father alan he loves me well enough i know of a saturday night but he thinks me but idle company for any other day of the week and here i suspect lies your real objection to taking a ramble with me through the southern counties in this delicious weather i know the good gentleman has hard thoughts of me for being so unsettled as to leave edinburgh before the session rises perhaps too he quarrels a little i will not say with my want of ancestry but with my want of connections he reckons me a lone thing in this world alan and so in good truth i am and it seems a reason to him 
why you should not attach yourself to me that i can claim no interest in the general herd do not suppose i forget what i owe him for permitting me to shelter for four years under his roof my obligations to him are not the less but the greater if he never heartily loved me he is angry too that i will not or cannot be a lawyer and with reference to you considers my disinclination that way as pessimi exempli as he might say but he need not be afraid that a lad of your steadiness will be influenced by such a reed shaken by the winds as i am you will go on doubting with durleton and resolving those doubts with stuart sir john nisbet of durleton's doubts and questions upon the law especially of scotland and sir james stuart's durleton's doubts and questions on the law of scotland resolved and answered are works of authority in scottish jurisprudence as is generally the case the doubts are held more in respect than the solution until the cramp speech till of late years every advocate who catered at the scottish bar made a latin address to the court faculty and audience in set terms and said a few words upon a text of the civil law to show his latinity and jurisprudence he also wore his hat for a minute in order to vindicate his right of being covered before the court which is said to have originated from the celebrated lawyer sir thomas hope having two sons on the bench while he himself remained at the bar of late this ceremony has been dispensed with as occupying the time of the court unnecessarily the entrant lawyer merely takes the oaths to government and swears to maintain the rules and privileges of his order has been spoken more solito from the corner of the bench and with covered head until you have sworn to defend the liberties and privileges of the college of justice until the black gown is hung on your shoulders and you are free as any of the faculty to sue or defend then will i step forth allan and in a character which even your father will allow may be more useful to you than had i shared this splendid termination of your legal studies in a word if i cannot be a counsel i am determined to be a client a sort of person without whom a lawsuit would be as dull as a supposed case yes i am determined to give you your first fee one can easily i am assured get into a lawsuit it is only the getting out which is sometimes found troublesome and with your kind father for an agent and you for my counsel learned in the law and the worshipful master samuel griffiths to back me a few sessions shall not tire my patience in short i will make my way into court even if it should cost me the committing a delict or at least a quasi delict you see all is not lost of what erskine wrote and wallace taught thus far i have fooled it off well enough 
and yet alan all is not at ease within me i am affected with a sense of loneliness the more depressing that it seems to me to be a solitude peculiarly my own in a country where all the world have a circle of consanguinity extending to sixth cousins at least i am a solitary individual having only one kind heart to throb in unison with my own if i were condemned to labour for my bread methinks i should less regard this peculiar species of deprivation the necessary communication of master and servant would be at least a tie which would attach me to the rest of my kind as it is the very independence seems to enhance the peculiarity of my situation i am in the world as a stranger in the crowded coffee-house where he enters calls for what refreshment he wants pays his bill and is forgotten so soon as the waiter's mouth has pronounced his thank ye sir i know your good father would term this sinning my mercies a peculiar scottish phrase expressive of ingratitude for the favours of providence and ask how i should feel if instead of being able to throw down my reckoning i were obliged to deprecate the resentment of the landlord for consuming that which i could not pay for i cannot tell how it is but though this very reasonable reflection comes across me and though i do confess that four hundred a year in possession eight hundred in near prospect and the lord knows how many hundreds more in the distance are very pretty and comfortable things yet i would freely give one half of them to call your father father though he should scold me for my idleness every hour of the day and to call you brother though a brother whose merits would throw my own so completely into the shade the faint yet not improbable belief has often come across me that your father knows something more about my birth and condition than he is willing to communicate it is so unlikely that i should be left in edinburgh at six years old without any other recommendation than the regular payment of my board to old m probably matheson the predecessor of dr adams to whose memory the author and his contemporaries owe a deep debt of gratitude of the high school before that time as i have often told you i have but a recollection of unbounded indulgence on my mother's part and the most tyrannical exertion of caprice on my own i remember still how bitterly she sighed how vainly she strove to soothe me while in the full energy of despotism i roared like ten bull-calves for something which it was impossible to procure for me she is dead that kind that ill-rewarded mother i remember the long faces the darkened rooms the black hangings the mysterious impression made upon my mind by the hearse and mourning-coaches and the difficulty which i had to reconcile all this to the disappearance of my mother i do not think i had before this event formed 
any idea of death or that i had even heard of that final consummation of all that lives the first acquaintance which i formed with it deprived me of my only relation a clergyman of venerable appearance our only visitor was my guide and companion in a journey of considerable length and in the charge of another elderly man substituted in his place i know not how or why i completed my journey to scotland and this is all i recollect i repeat the little history now as i have a hundred times before merely because i would wring some sense out of it turn then thy sharp wire-drawing lawyer-like ingenuity to the same task make up my history as though thou wert shaping the blundering allegations of some blue-bonneted hard-headed client into a condescension of facts and circumstances and thou shalt be not my apollo quid tibi cum lyra but my lord stair celebrated as a scottish lawyer meanwhile i have written myself out of my melancholy and blue devils merely by prosing about them so i will now converse half an hour with rowan robin in his stall the rascal knows me already and snickers whenever i cross the threshold of the stable the black which you bestrode yesterday morning promises to be an admirable roadster and ambled as easily with sam and the portmanteau as with you and your load of law-learning sam promises to be steady and has hitherto been so no long trial you will say he lays the blame of former inaccuracies on evil company the people who were at the livery stable were too seductive i suppose he denies he ever did the horse injustice would rather have wanted his own dinner he says in this i believe him as rowan robin's ribs and coat show no marks of contradiction however as he will meet with no saints in the inns we frequent and as oats are sometimes as speedily converted into ale as john barleycorn himself i shall keep a lookout after master sam stupid fellow had he not abused my good nature i might have chatted to him to keep my tongue in exercise whereas now i must keep him at a distance do you remember what mr fairford said to me on this subject it did not become my father's son to speak in that manner to sam's father's son i asked you what your father could possibly know of mine and you answered as much you supposed as he knew of sam's it was a proverbial expression this did not quite satisfy me though i am sure i cannot tell why it should not but i am returning to a fruitless and exhausted subject do not be afraid that i shall come back on this well-trodden yet pathless field of conjecture i know nothing so useless 
so utterly feeble and contemptible as the groaning forth one's lamentations into the ears of our friends i would fain promise you that my letters shall be as entertaining as i am determined they shall be regular and well filled we have an advantage over the dear friends of old every pair of them neither david and jonathan nor Orestes and pylades nor damon and pythias although in the latter case particularly a letter by post would have been very acceptable ever corresponded together for they probably could not write and certainly had neither post nor franks to speed their effusions to each other whereas yours which you had from the old peer being handled gently and opened with precaution may be returned to me again and serve to make us free of his majesty's post-office during the whole time of my proposed tour it is well known and remembered that when members of parliament enjoyed the unlimited privilege of franking by the mere writing the name on the cover it was extended to the most extraordinary occasions one noble lord to express his regard for a particular regiment franked a letter for every rank and file it was customary also to save the covers and return them in order that the correspondence might be carried on as long as the envelopes could hold together mercy upon us allan what letters i shall have to send to you with an account of all that i can collect of pleasant or rare in this wild goose jaunt of mine all i stipulate is that you do not communicate them to the scots magazine for though you used in a left-handed way to compliment me on my attainments in the lighter branches of literature at the expense of my deficiency in the weightier matters of the law i am not yet audacious enough to enter the portal which the learned rudiman so kindly opened for the acolytes of the muses vale sis memor me d l p s direct to the post-office here i shall leave orders to forward your letters wherever i may travel End of letter one